Hey everyone, hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Want to give you a heads up. We recorded this podcast at a hockey rink and it seemed to be kind of in transition where you have kids going in and out of a daycare. Isn't too bad, but it was kind of funny uh, as these kids, as these parents let their kids kind of roam around us as we are trying to record a podcast with a couple of mics in our face. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Wes has some great stories. From Lakely, it's how I got here. The stories behind the youth, high school, college, and professional sports journey, where it leads, and what we learn along the way. I'm Corey Koski, and on today's show, we listen to former Minnesota Wild, Wes Walls. As a Wild fan, what do you think of when you think of Wes Walls? I'll tell you what I think of. I think of the 2003 conference finals when they played the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. I got to share a story about that one. I take full credit for how far they got that year. Before every series, Wes and Bruno, Andrew Burnett would call me and we would talk about what we needed to do to win that series. Well, guess what? They listened to me when they played against Colorado and they listened to me again when they played against Canucks, both winning those series in seven. But then we faced the Mighty Ducks and they didn't listen to me. Jaguar was so far in that team's head, there's nothing I could do about that. I tried to talk him out of it, but all they could talk about were the size of his pads. My pep talks didn't work. I know that might be pulling a Band-Aid off for a lot of us Wild fans and how exciting it was in the playoffs that year. And West Walls was an intricate part of that. I also feel like Wes was a lifelong Wild player. But he was not. He played for the Bruins, Flyers, Red Wings, Flames, and finally the Wild. Oh yeah, we can't forget about his four-year stint in Switzerland. Wes Walls exemplifies resilience and grit. And all his hard work finally paid off when he got that phone call from the Minnesota Wild general manager, Doug Reisbaugh. This is how we got here. Being born in Calgary was, you know, was uh, was excellent. I had one sister growing up uh, who who liked to play sports as well, and um, um, really had a normal childhood. Uh, played sports was that was really the only thing I ever thought about as a child. So when you say sports, what what sports did you play? Honestly, baseball and hockey. Those were the two sports I played the most growing up. I, I picked up started picking up golf when I was probably 14, 15, um, but in Canada, as you know, you grew up there as well too. The baseball season's a little bit shorter. Um, so, you know, when I was probably five, six years old, it was hockey during the winter for uh, six, seven, eight months a year. And then it was put the hockey equipment in the, in the closet, it was grab the baseball glove and cleats and let's go play baseball for four or five months. So I did that for, you know, till I was probably about 15 or 16 years old in Canada, in Calgary. And then it became a point when I was 15 where I had to make a decision. And to be honest with you, Corey, my my first love was actually baseball um, and actually I was probably a better baseball player than hockey player till I turned about 15 or 16 and then everybody kind of caught up to me and then I started um, falling in love with hockey and playing hockey full year um, you know you know 10 11 12 months a year going to camps and things like that and uh, um, so that was kind of my youth hockey growing up uh, growing up in Calgary you talk about playing uh, playing hockey as a, as a young kid 
you played in WHL, you played for Lethbridge. Mm -hmm. At what point did you start to figure out that, you know what, I'm pretty good and I might be able to do something here? So uh, I was probably 16 years old at the time and uh, I started to have some teams from the Western Hockey League um, and even U.S. college teams reaching out to me, asking me if I'd be interested in, in potentially coming to play U.S. college hockey. Um, the, the Prince Albert Raiders put me on their, on their list when I was 16 years old. My, my coach um, playing midget hockey, which is the equivalent of high school hockey in the United States, was uh, actually scouted for the Prince Albert Raiders. And uh, um, so I finished my midget career. Um, and uh, I went off to play you know, in Lethbridge, but there was a little story in, before that. When I was 16 years old, um, playing my last year of midget hockey, uh, the, the Prince Albert Raiders had a... Uh, um, I was on their players list and they had an injury to a guy named Wade Butchus and he was, he happened to be Mike Medano's uh, left winger and um, I was asked to go play for the Prince Albert Raiders uh, as a 16 year old so I jumped on a bus which was, uh, this was a big deal when you're 16 years old by yourself, I had an 8 hour bus ride from Prince Albert to Calgary, um, you know looking out the window going what am I doing, I'm 16 years old, I'm going to go into Prince Albert so I ended up playing two games in the Western Hockey League um, on, a, on a weekend and um, had a goal and assist my first game playing with Mike Medano. He was my he was my first ever centerman in in the Western Hockey League. We're the exact same age. Um, he went on to obviously get drafted first overall. And uh, um, um, after those two games in Prince Albert, I went back and finished my midget career. We lost in the Air Canada Cup Finals to a team from Regina, the Regina Pack Canadians, who we'd, we had beat three times that previous year, a couple times at the Max Tournament, which is a big tournament in Calgary, and lost to them in the final. So that always stuck with me. And then. Um, um, uh, then I ended up finishing and playing two years in Lethbridge, which, is, which was two hours from my hometown in Calgary. So my mother and father uh, never missed a game my two-year career um, playing in the Western Hockey League in Lethbridge. So it was really neat um, playing for two years in Lethbridge. And I was fortunate enough to have play on really, really good teams um, while I was in Lethbridge. Um, but only played two years in the Western League, got drafted by the Boston Bruins. Um, you know, as a 19-year-old, and um, so yeah, that was kind of my story. Uh, I didn't really touch much about how things went in Lethbridge, other than I played two years there. I was able to to win Rookie of the Year of the Western Hockey League my first year, um, and then my second year uh, represented the Western Hockey League uh, for the MVP of the of all of Canada. So I had two uh, amazing years um, in Lethbridge, a great experience, and I'm still in contact with a lot of people still in Lethbridge this day to this day. The one thing I don't think the the listeners quite understand and what kind of step it is to play in the WHL as a 16-year-old because you're playing with grown men. You know, these guys are 20, 21 years old, and they have one goal in mind is to make the NHL, and it is a hard league. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely was. So I played my uh, – the two years I played in the Western Hockey League, I was 17 and 18, and um, – you were allowed to have, and you still are, you're allowed to have two 28, three uh, overage players, 20-year-old kids. And uh, again, so think about, you know, you're 17 years old, and you're playing against guys that are 19, 20 years old. A lot of them have beards and mustaches, and you're still young, looking, for, you know, haven't even shaved yet, and you're playing against these type of guys. And, you know, back in the late 80s, and, um, you know, when I played in the Western Hockey League, it was... Uh, it was a it was a rough league. Like there was a lot of fighting, and if you know games got out of hand at the end of games, uh, you, you knew if you were on the ice, you probably have to fight somebody. I mean, it was not, and that was not my style, and I never enjoyed playing like that. And I, um, and I know a lot of that fighting is starting to leave the game, and I think it's a great thing to be honest with you because of what what I had to endure uh, the years that I played in the Western Hockey League and even in the early part of the of the NHL. But um, 
it was definitely a, definitely a challenge and um, you know I was able to fight and grind through it and um, you know a lot of uh, um, you know a lot of three games and three nights and traveling around the Western Hockey League looking out the window you know in the middle of the night wondering what the heck am I doing here I miss my family I just got beat up uh, in Prince Albert uh, you know and I haven't scored in two weeks so um, you definitely learn a lot about yourself um, as a as a person you know, looking out the bus windows late at night and, and having to be ready for practice the next day after you go to school. Um, so a lot of life lessons that, that I learned from playing for my, with my, my couple years in Leth Lethbridge that I think really helped me um, become a, a, you know, a, a pretty solid NHL player, especially the last eight years of my NHL career. So you get drafted in 1989 by Boston. Yep. What was that like? It was amazing. Uh, so back then, because of my age, I could only be drafted in the first three rounds of the draft. And the draft, ironically, was at the Met Center, not far from where we are right now. So my career actually went completely full circle. Drafted by the Boston Bruins, but at the Met Center. And um, uh, I had my mom and dad at the draft, and we're sitting in the, in the stands. And, um, um, you know, I, I remember I talked to uh, Buffalo, Hartford, Calgary, because we were from, uh, I was a Calgary boy. There were four or five teams that had mentioned to me if that was available in the third round, they were definitely going to take me. Well, the third round rolled around, and every team that I talked to, Corey, that said that if I was available, they were going to take me, they didn't take me. So there's five picks left in the in the third round, and I'm, I'm looking at the teams that have picks left, and I haven't talked to any of those teams, so I'm like, I'm not going to get drafted. This is this, you know, I was really, really disappointed and bummed out. And uh, the Boston Bruins had their pick, 57th overall, and they picked Wes Walls from the Lethbridge, uh, Lethbridge Hurricanes. And it was a team that I never even had ever talked to. Um, and uh, looking back now, getting drafted by the Boston Bruins, considering the type of player I was, uh, you know, I was a fast little centerman that scored. Uh, I was an offensive guy. And, um, you know, my first couple years in Boston, trying to figure out how to play um, in the old Boston Garden, which was about the size of this table we're sitting at right now, was not an easy, <laughs> was not an easy thing to, um, to try to overcome. And uh, so I really struggled. I, I, I really struggled with with my game the first couple years of my NHL career. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, I should have probably been playing in the minors the first two three years. They tried to speed me along, um, and uh, wanted me to be the the big scorer. They had a difficult time scoring goals. They were always great defensively. They had lost to the Edmonton Oilers in the finals uh, the year before 1990. Um, and basically got shut down in the final, so they thought I was going to be the answer as a 20-year-old coming in to help uh, Cam Neely and, and Randy Burge and some other guys score goals, and uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I just wasn't ready for that moment. And um, because I wasn't ready for that moment, I really struggled with my game for five or six years. I really I beat myself up about being a bit of a failure. I wasn't able to perform when it mattered most. I beat myself up a little bit. Um, the first five, six years of my career, and I, um, you know, I ended up being an NHL player. I was mostly a minor league player the first five or six years, and so, um, you know, it gets talked about a lot in every sport, um, baseball included, about whether guys are ready at a young age, and um, so how you handle kids coming into the league is really, really important, and um, are they mentally strong enough to be able to handle not having success. Uh, I think kids are more apt to handle it now than they were back then. I'm not sure exactly why that is. But yeah, uh, I really wish I would have spent the first couple years uh, of my career 
in Portland, Maine, to try to figure out how to play at the pro level. I, I might have had a different path, although my my path was kind of unique to 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 most guys. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting start to my NHL career, especially getting drafted by the Boston Bruins. You have so when you're playing in the in the AHL, you average a, a point a game, and you have success in the AHL. Was it frustrating that? It felt like you couldn't get your shot back there as you were kind of, did you feel at any point that you got stuck there? Because from there, you end up going to, um, to Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was always a big, I, I was a big scorer in junior. I, I mean, I had, uh, I mean, I, my last year there, I had 150 points in 55 games or something like that. So I could always score. I was a skater. I, 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 I you know, Putting up a point a game in the minors is nothing to sneeze at. It's uh, those are good numbers, but I just uh, it was interesting because the beginning part of my career, even though people knew that I could could score if given the opportunity, but I was always a defensive I was always a defensive liability, and that's why I, I, I really, especially when I got into year four, year five, there, a lot of times the reason I never got called up in certain situations is because people looked at me as a, as, as a liability defensively. So coaches weren't willing to put those type of players on the ice if they thought you were going to get scored on when, you got on when you got on the ice. So it was really difficult for me to break that stigma of he's an AHL player and he's bad defensively. You know, whether it's good or bad, you get stereotyped a certain way. And after my third, second or third year around the NHL, I got, stig I got stamped on the forehead bad defensively can't take care of his own zone minor league player and it was really really hard to to shake that stigma for for a, a long long time so do you think that you were able to shake it by leaving the game the nhl game the, the north american game uh, for four years well it's it's really interesting where my career went because um um so when i'm 26 years old i'm um i'm in detroit when uh you know in those teams that had the you know fedorov eiserman Konstantinov, all the Russians, great teams. I was one of the extra players then, and I had a, a guy come over from Switzerland and, and asked me if I'd be willing to come over um, and, and give it a shot for a year. Um, and at that point, I had three kids, young children, and I'm up and down from the minors, and I'm like, this this sucks. I just don't know what bed I'm sleeping in every night. Let's go to, I told, asked my wife, I said, let's go to Switzerland and play one year. Let's go to... Uh, it's like we're at a train track here. Yeah. <laughs> let's go to, uh, um, I just said, hon, let's go to Switzerland and play a year. And my wife was on board with going to Switzerland. And one year, we enjoyed our time so much in Switzerland that one year turned out to be four. And I didn't really realize it at the time, Corey, but um, being an import in Switzerland, every team in Switzerland has three imports. And there's so much pressure on the imports to have to perform that I was becoming a much better hockey player over there offensively defensively because if you want to win a championship you got to play a 200 foot game and i was that type of player over there um so i really enjoyed my my time over in switzerland uh, won a championship in 98 still close to a lot of friends in switzerland and then the nhl expanded two new teams coming to the national hockey league the columbus blue jackets and the minnesota wild and to be honest with you corey i didn't think i didn't think anybody was watching me play hockey over in switzerland and i had quietly agreed um, during my last year in Switzerland to go over there and play for another four years. Um, and then Doug Risebrow reached out to me during the summer, um, was the new general manager of the Minnesota Wild, and asked me 
if I would be interested in, in potentially coming back. And I can't even explain to you how excited I was to get that phone call. I was ready to come back. Um, I knew I was a better player I was than before I went over to Switzerland. So I got, a, I got an opportunity to come back and Doug Risborough was great. So I basically told Doug Risborough, I told my agent to tell Doug Risborough, I want to come back, but I ain't coming back unless I got a one-way contract because I'm not going to outplay guys at camp and then get sent to the minors. I'm making good money in Switzerland. Doug gave me my one way and I'm like, oh my goodness, they are serious about me coming over here and playing. And um, so then they hire some guy named Jacques Lemaire and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm Now, I've been, I've been stereotyped and stamped on the forehead, the guy that can't play good defensively. Anytime someone's on the ice in the NHL that's got more than 20 goals in their career, I got to get off the ice. And Jacques Lemaire, who's a defensive specialist, is going to be coaching the Minnesota Wild. And I'm like, well, this is not going to be great, but I'm going to go into this with a positive attitude. And to see how it all played out at the beginning, to have Jacques Lemaire uh, come in and ask me at the beginning to be his checking centerman and, and ask me if I think I could handle it. And I, I had never been given that opportunity, but I, I knew that I was a good enough skater and I had a, a, a higher hockey IQ than, than a lot of people ever gave me credit for. And I knew that if given the opportunity that I could, I could really take this and run. And I'll never forget, um, you know, after our first training camp, it was during our first training camp here, um, in Minneapolis, Jock asked me um, after one of the ice sessions to be his checking center, and I remember calling my wife on the way home, and I'm like, "Hon, um, I have a chance to do something special here. Uh, there's not going to be any pressure on me here to score." Because even Jock said to me, he "Goes Wes, I don't care if you score three goals this year. I want you to play against the other team's best players. They're going to be the best players in the world. You can skate with them. I will, I will work with you. I will teach you." And I was, I was a very coachable player, and. Um, so he kind of just molded me into that checking center and I was able to play. So that guy that did all the scoring in junior ended up being, um, you know, a checking center for Jock Lemaire, seven, eight years in Minnesota and uh, almost won a Selkie trophy as, a, as the league's best defensive player. And uh, so, you know, my career going from Switzerland to the NHL and playing in the minors, being an offensive player, almost winning a, a Selkie trophy in 2003, is kind of a, uh, it was a 17 year like whirlwind. and. Um, so I'm very grateful. So my story is uh, pretty unique to, to, to most people, guys that played. Guys who put the puck in the net, there's a certain mindset for guys who put the puck in the net because you score a goal, it feels good to score the goal. Now all of a sudden you're asked to do something that's completely outside of, of your game that you've done for the, the previous, you know, your, your, almost your whole career. Was it a kind of a... a sigh of relief saying okay you know what now they're not going to expect me to put the puck in net and I can do this yeah or were you like ah, I still want to put the puck in the net no at that point I was really comfortable with not putting the puck in the net because I tried to be a scorer the first five years of my career and I ended up in Switzerland so <laughs> that didn't turn out that well so this was a new avenue for me now I knew and I think maybe Jock knew this as well too so when he said to me, I don't care if you score three goals this year, it did, it was the first time a coach had ever said that to me. And it was just really eye-opening for me and it, it did take a lot of pressure off of me. And, and Jock knew, Jock was smart enough to know that if I was really good defensively, and again, there was no slam dunk that I was gonna be the guy. I still had to learn, I had to buy in. He didn't know if I was gonna buy in. Um, so I still had to learn, and um, 
I think he knew that when you're playing against the best lines in the world and the best players in the world, they, they get paid to score goals. They take a lot of chances offensively that my scoring would come back. And I, and I did end up scoring, uh, you know, 18, 19 goals, like three or four different times in my career. I never got to 20, which uh, kind of bummed me out. But, uh, but I, never, I never complained about not playing on the power play. Um, I knew other guys were going to play on the power play. I was going to be uh, the checking center, and I was going to be a PK specialist. And however many goals I scored, I scored. That was my goal. Um, and in the eight years that I played for the Minnesota Wild, I was a, I was a plus seven player, playing against the best players in the world. It was something that I took a lot of pride in, and um, there was there was a lot of value for the organization. And you talk about mindset. The guy that I took the face off against every night, I was that guy. I, I knew I I know how they think offensively, and I used to always tell my the guys that I played with. Auntie Loxon was a left winger I played with all the time. Uh, Willie Mitchell and Nick Schultz were the defensemen they were on. Like I used to, we used to always talk about this before games. We used to always say, and it was usually led by me, "Let's make sure we're ready in the first period, because if you can shut down a top guy early in a game, and is is tough mentally as they can be it makes your life much more easier and I know as a player when I was a scorer if I scored in my first shift of the game it was going to be point night my legs felt great get me the puck I'm gonna I'm gonna have five or six point night so we always made a concerted effort to make sure as a checking line as a checking center uh, because I knew the mindset of a scorer to make sure at the beginning of the game we were ready to go so that when that guy looked across he go okay well this guy's going to be in my face all night who do we play tomorrow night? And and a lot of times that would make your life much more easier. There were certain guys in the league. Mike Madonna was one of them. Joe Sackick. That it didn't matter how you play against them, they were going to play hard anytime. But a lot of the stars around the National Hockey League, because it's an 82 game schedule and you're getting beat up so much, um, sometimes they lose their edge. So um, that was, you know, one of the advantages I thought I had over playing against uh, some of the best players in the world. The seven eight years I played with the Wild. What went in? What? How was the decision to retire? What went into that decision um, to f- finally decide to? Because you had a long career, uh, both in the in the NHL and the AHL and Switzerland. Like you've played a lot, of, a lot of hockey. What was it like taking off your skates, kind of, for the last time? Well, I, I get asked about that quite often, and uh, you know. Um, so I played 17 years, and I actually include the year I played 11, the last year. Um, and during the summer, um, I was actually set to to retire that summer. Um, I went home, and I didn't I didn't train. I didn't, didn't tell anyone I was really going to retire. And um, Doug Risebrow, the, the team knew that I was really considering retiring. It was nothing that was made public. And Doug Risebrow. Um, uh, flew out to British Columbia. That's where we spent our summers. I met him in uh, Kamloops uh, for a coffee, um, and he talked me into coming back for another year. And uh, at that point, I still wasn't right there. Um, I, I really did not like the season that I had the year before. Um, my legs didn't feel as good. My, you know, my, you know, it's like when you play too, Corey. There's a lot of times you wake up in the morning and you kind of you, you gotta you walk like a hunchback till you get to the shower and get your body warmed up and um, you know I was 36 years old played over a thousand games at that point and my body was really beat up and uh, I didn't I didn't like the way I was playing and uh, um, and um, so I was actually going to consider retiring and strongly consider it and they talked me back into playing so um, again 
as soon as I met with Doug and changed my mind, I go, okay, let's get back into this. I started running hills and training like a dog again and um, came back uh, to the wild. And, and the first 10, 12 games, I think I retired 11, 12 games. I can't even remember, but um, I was I was not mentally there. I just, I wasn't, I got off to a really bad start and I just, uh, the wild were nice enough to, to, to give me some time away from the game to, to give it more consideration. And um, so I spent some time with my wife and maybe a few weeks and, uh, um, and I'll always thank the wild and give, for giving me that time. And I know there were some rumors going around. <laughs> I actually heard a couple of rumors that were kind of scary that, you know, that maybe I was, um, I was domestically had some issues with my wife and I'm, I remember reading some of these things. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is unbelievable. My wife would laugh about it, but it was nothing really more confusing Corey than, than, um, being 37 years old. The game had been so good to me. I never wanted to cheat anybody out of a dime. I didn't really like the way my game where it was at when I was 36, 37 years old. Um, and I just, I, I was finished. I just uh, wanted to spend, at that point, and now I had, we just had our fifth child. Um, I need my wife, my, she needed me to be around the house there. It wasn't really more confusing that I didn't like my game. I didn't want to cheat the game and I wanted to be around my family more. It was not more confusing than that. And the wild were nice enough to give me an extra, you know, two, three weeks at the end. Um, and then I'm thinking to myself, so I had, I had a press conference. I had like media around and everything. And I, I used to joke with all the guys that retired. I said, all you need to do is retire about 10 games into your, into a season and you get your own press conference. It's unbelievable. Most guys, when they, they uh, retire during the summer, you just kind of never hear of them. Again. <laughs> so we used to always chuckle about that. I got my own press conference, which was really neat to say goodbye to the fans and things like that too. But, um, um, just, a. uh, kind of a whirlwind of a career. It was 17 years long, um, played 250 games in the minors, a couple hundred games in Switzerland, 600 in the NHL. It was a very unique um, career and one, one to be quite frankly, I'm, I'm pretty proud of. Your career is over now, and now you got to transition to the, your next part of your life. Tell me about that. It's scary. I mean, uh, you know, the I think a lot of the American... Uh, I think a lot of the American boys, men, you know, they, they play U.S. college hockey. They're able to play hockey while they're getting their degrees. They always have something to fall back on when their career's over. Being a, growing up in, in Canada and, you know, for kids that play in the Ontario Hockey League, Quebec League, uh, Western Hockey League, we don't, at least back then, I think there's education. The education side's a little different now in, in the Canadian Junior Hockey League than it was when I come through. So never really had a degree to fall back on. So you're always, as you're playing the last few years, you're like, what the heck am I going to do when I'm, when I'm finished playing? And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to, to get in, and I did want to get into coaching. I didn't know when it was going to happen, and I had a, a, an amazing opportunity kind of fall into my lap to coach in Tampa Bay as an assistant coach uh, fairly quickly after I retired. Um, and I don't want to bore everybody with the, with the details about how that all played out, but I was able to be an assistant coach in the National Hockey League, work with Steven Stamkos as a, his rookie year and some of the young kids in, in, in Tampa. It was a great experience. I, I learned a lot and really did enjoy coaching. Um, and then after that ended, I you know come back to Minnesota, and now I'm trying to figure out exactly what I want to do. Um, sat down and spoke with, uh, with Matt Make of the Minnesota Wild, um, trying to figure out maybe on the business side if there were some opportunities and then the, the TV thing kind of came up and to be perfectly honest with you Corey I I, I didn't want to do the television thing I, I wanted to be more maybe involved in the hockey ops side of things and um, but there was an opportunity for me to get involved with the television and um, so that was nine years ago and um, 
so now I've been I've been doing the television for Fox Sports North pre and post game shows and uh, you know I don't do all the games I do about half the games which allow me uh, flexibility to spend time with my family help coaching hockey I coached high school hockey for four or five years give back to um, to a lot of the younger kids that uh, um, that I know I have a big family as you know as well five kids uh, a couple of them are gone and uh, out of the house now but I um, and and I also with the Minnesota Wild I'm also uh, you know, if I'm not on TV, on TV, I'm in suite saying hi to people. I spend time with our corporate folks. So there's always something um, to do around the organization. And, and anytime, Corey, anytime this organization asks me to do something, um, I'm all in because, uh, you know, I'll never forget 17 years ago. Well, it's 20, it's been 27 years ago when I was playing in Switzerland. There was only one team that gave me an opportunity to come back in the NHL and live my dream of playing in the National Hockey League and be somebody that I could be proud of and I got that second opportunity with the Minnesota Wild, and um, f for that, I'll ever, forever be grateful. So however I can help out this organization, I'm going to do it. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. If you like this show or any other of our shows, make sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you want to read stories written by our guests, you can do that on www.linkly.com. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter so you don't miss any of these stories. Make sure to check out our social pages. We have them all. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any suggestions for our show, please write us on Facebook. I'm Corey Kosky, and you've been listening to How I Got Here from Linkly. Special thanks to Wade Beavers and our friends at the restaurant Agriculture. <laughs>